Hello, everybody. This is the Cincinnati Herald podcast. I'm your host, John Alexander Reese, digital editor of the Cincinnati Herald. If you don't know, the Cincinnati Herald has been around since 1955 and is the largest African American newspaper in the greater Cincinnati area. And we have a great show today. I'd like to uh, announce our guest, Circulation Director uh, Wade Lacey Sr. How are you doing today, Wade? How are you doing, John? It's good to be here. It's good. Good to hear. And I also like to introduce our intern for the Cincinnati Herald, Suhana Sinhan. How are you doing, Suhana? I'm doing fantastic, John. How are you doing today? I am doing fantastic. And I also like to introduce our special guest, Dr. Michael Thomas, chair of the OBGYN at University of Cincinnati. How are you doing today, Dr. Thomas? I am doing well and very happy to be here, sir. Now today our main topic will be black women's health, but before we dive into our main topic, let's talk about some other news in our general news roundup. The first topic of the day is about Marsha Fudge. Last week, the US Senate voted to confirm Representative Marsha Fudge as Secretary of the Development of Housing and Urban Development. Fudge, the former chair of the Congressional Black Caucus, received a 66 to 34 vote in the Senate, making her the first woman to serve as HUD secretary since 1979. Fudge, who is also an Ohio native, becomes the second Black woman and third woman ever to lead the department. And moving on to our second topic, Cincinnati's CentOS Center will become a mass vaccination site for seven days in late March and early April, delivering a total of 10,000 complete vaccinations, first and second dose included, before Memorial Day. Governor Mike DeWine announced last Wednesday that CentOS would offer vaccine appointments between 8.30 a.m. and 4.30 p.m. from March 18th through the 20th, and again from April 8th to the 10th, supplementing the vaccinations carried out at small clinics, pharmacies, and community health centers across Ohio. Our third topic concerns the recent mass shootings in the Atlanta area and the Indianapolis area. Authorities in the Atlanta area say that the man arrested in connection with three shootings at local massage parlors has taken responsibility and that he may have targeted parlors that he had frequented in the past. The suspect, 20-year-old Robert Aaron Long, was arrested in Crips County Tuesday. So far, he's being charged with four counts of murder and one count of aggregated assault, and he's being held without bond at the Cherokee County Adult Detention Center, according to the Cherokee County Sheriff's Office. Six of the eight victims killed in Tuesday's shootings were of Asian descent, leading to speculation that the slayings may have been among the rising rates of hate crimes against Asians amid the COVID-19 pandemic. Long reportedly told Chris County Sheriff deputies that he was not motivated. However, officials have not ruled out the possibility of a hate crime designation. Meanwhile, a 24-year-old man accused of shooting his girlfriend and killing four of her family members reportedly said he did so because of a fight over the recent stimulus checks. And moving on to our fourth topic, Cincinnati Public Schools are returning to in-person learning. Students at Cincinnati Public Schools will return to in-person learning five days a week beginning March 31st, including Walnut Hills High School. In addition, the school board agreed to return to five days a week of in-person instruction for the 2021-2022 academic year. The school board unanimously decided to return to five days per week in-person learning for 
the 2021-2022 academic year with a concurrent learning option for families who prefer five-day-per-week distance learning from their current school. Families may also choose to enroll in Cincinnati Digital Academy or distance learning through a student's current school. Wade, which one of these stories uh, stood out the most to you? I'm going go with the shootings both in Atlanta and in uh, Indianapolis. Uh, it seems like um, nothing changes in terms of all these multiple shootings. Uh, we'll go for a while and all of a sudden, uh, so, something hits different parts of the country, multiple shootings. Uh, you look at the one in Atlanta, it seems to be, uh, he said it wasn't racial, but he said he have a sickness in terms of being a sex addict. You look in Indianapolis, it's for just complete stupidity in terms of wanting someone else's stimulus check. Gun control, uh, there has to be something done. I'm not saying that you need to take everybody's gun away and everything, but we really need to do something about gun. Yeah, I definitely agree with that, Wade. I'm a strong supporter of the Second Amendment, but I do think we can do a lot more, you know, to, you know, curb this gun violence and everything. Uh, Suhana, what which story stood out to you the most? Agreeing with uh, Sir Wade about uh, the shootings in Indiana and Atlanta are deeply saddening and very worrisome about the communal hate that the COVID has spread. But the stories apart from them, which stood out to me were the CPS returning to in-person learning and uh, the mass vaccination in Sintas Center. I feel over the year, I past year, I was under impression that why are people in rush to get back to physical learning and physically going out and meeting people. But um, it's been over 365 days and vaccination being out. And we have been missing the human interaction. And that has impacted a lot in the quality of education we consume. As a student myself, I have seemed to a little bit understand that how much I appreciate in-person interaction with my instructors as a um, it helps the quality of your assignments and learning instead of communicating through email. And uh, I'm excited to know that most of them have 60, or at least 60% of the teachers and staff have got vaccinated. And it'll be interesting to see how this new phase of education begins during post uh, COVID. Uh, the, uh, the vaccination site at Sinta Center, um, I, I was a little amused to read that it is only for seven days and in that seven days they will discharge 10,000 vaccines. I'm sure it's highly achievable but um, I'm, I'm just wondering about all those extra things about uh, how will be the traffic managed, what kind of staff will be there, what is the schedule, you know all the other extra things but still it's a great initiative to pass on 10,000 vaccines and I hope many people utilize it and come and get their vaccines and garner some kind of protection, at least a first layer protection from COVID. So this is my opinion on those two pieces. Yeah, I definitely agree with you on the uh, vaccination. I just hope people will come and get their um, vaccinations because there doesn't seem to be as much confusion as there was a couple months ago about, you know, how to get your vaccine and where you can get it and when you can get it. So hopefully they can give out all these vaccines so we can 
get back to you know somewhat normal. Okay, so those were some of the topics of the day. And now we are going to move on to the main topic of the day, which is concerning Black women's health. And we have Dr. Thomas with us to talk about that. Uh, so how you doing, Dr. Thomas? And thank you so much for coming on and talking about this. I, I'm doing very well, and I appreciate the invitation to be able to uh, let people know that uh, uh, their, their health is important and that we at University of Cincinnati and UC Health are there for uh, everyone who has questions, especially on a topic such as important, that is important as this in taking care of our uh, Black women in our community. Now, doctor, you said you uh, sent an article to the Cincinnati Herald. Uh, can you tell us what that article is about? Yeah, I, I sent an article uh, to just let people know that uh, uh, that uh, we were, I'm a fertility doctor by training, much like Dr. Odell Owens. Um, um, I am, Dr. Owens was the one of the first African-American fertility experts in the country. As a matter of fact, I gave a talk this morning at his, at the place that he trained, which is at Harvard, at Brigham and Women's in, in Harvard this morning, virtually, of course, I didn't fly. Uh, but um, uh, Dr. Owens came here in the early 80s and started the fertility program at the University of Cincinnati. And then he left and went into private practice. And I came later with a group of people in the late 80s uh, to help to uh, uh, continue what he built in that area. So I, I wrote an article in the Herald uh, uh, about fertility issues uh, that affect uh, African-American women and women of color more so uh, than others. And um, I just made a very important uh, point, I think, is that there are things that are, uh, that make uh, African-American women have a higher rate of fertility problems over their Caucasian counterparts. Now, can you tell us why that is, though? Because I'm awfully curious to hear that. Yeah, I, I think that are a number of things that come into play. Uh, one is the fact that <clears throat> when uh, African-Americans come in and see their physicians, one of the things that I've noticed and one of the things that, that have been shown in studies is that African-American women probably aren't sent to the fertility doctor as soon as they should. Uh, a, lot, a lot of times their physicians may hold on to them. There are a lot of misperceptions out there about black women to say, oh yeah, you can get pregnant, just keep trying. But if you've been trying for a year or more, and you're under 35, you need to immediately be sent to a fertility doctor because the, the definition of infertility is when someone has been trying for one year or more and they have regular cycles and they're under the age of 35. So they should go straight to a either workup for fertility or more importantly, be sent to a fertility expert like myself. And there are other fertility experts in the community. Uh, the other caveat is if you're over 35, and you've been trying for six months, not a year, but six months, uh, you should be sent to uh, a fertility expert, or at least start the process of looking into their fertility. And then the, the other thing is that if women have irregular cycles uh, or if they have other uh, hormonal issues, they should probably be sent to a fertility expert even sooner than that. So I think that there is this misperception that black women uh, don't need fertility service, which isn't true. And there's a misperception uh, that uh, uh, black women are hyper-fertile uh, and there are some biases in the medical community. And I think that one of the things we have to do as physicians is to cut down on these 
either uh, implicit or non-implicit biases about African-American women. Because African-American women have a higher risk of uterine fibroids, 80% of African-American women have fibroids. Now only 50% of that 80% may have problems with their fibroids, but fibroids can block the fallopian tubes, fibroids can sit inside the uterus and not allow a baby to implant, which may cause a fertility problem or even cause a miscarriage problem. Uh, there are uh, issues like uh, tubal disease that appear to be slightly higher in African-American women and which can cause blocked tubes. So and blocked tubes can be caused by either previous pelvic infections or even endometriosis, or as I said, fibroids. Uh, and, uh, uh, and because black women are sent to their fertility doctors later in life, being older also affects your fertility. And once you get start to get over the age of 30 and 35, your risk of miscarriage is higher and your risk of fertility problems are higher. And also in African-Americans, there seem to be slightly higher risk of, uh, when you look at particularly in vitro fertilization studies, uh, there's a higher risk of male factors. So when we look at fertilities, 50% of the time it's a female problem, 50% of the time it's a male problem. Uh, and uh, males are, uh, there seem to be uh, a lot of male factor issues uh, in the uh, African-American community. And that could be due to either smoking, it could be due to uh, previous infection, it could be due to a number of things. There's some men who think, well, it's not my problem. I've had kids before, but if, but if your youngest kid is eight years old, that means that the last time you got someone pregnant was nine years ago. So a lot of things can change. And they also can be job related because we as African-Americans may be doing jobs uh, and working with things that may have toxic effects on our sperm. So if we're working in the cleaning industry, if we're working in the painting industry, if we're working in chemi with chemicals, if we're working with glues or solvents, those things can decrease your sperm count. And, uh, uh, and those things can be uh, cause problems with fertility, whether you know that or not, uh, and whether your friends are getting pregnant or not, they may affect you differently. So there are a number of things that may be more intrinsic uh, in our African-American community and communities of color and in African-American women that you will see more so than you will see uh, in uh, Caucasians. Now, doctor, let me ask you, what made you want to study uh, this field in the first place? Um, you know, I did. I was interested in working with women. All my friends when I was growing up with women, were women. Uh, and uh, I just had a, uh, a, a knack and a uh, feel for uh, those issues. And because of that, you know, uh, OBGYN just made the most sense. And fertility came to me because, you know, I did some rotations in medical school. And, and you know, it's like anything else. That, that area sang to me. That was the area that I found the most interesting. It was related to hormones. It was related to uh, helping people have families. Uh, I grew up in the projects in the Chicago area, and you saw people who had families, but uh, you also saw people who couldn't have families. Uh, and uh, sometimes people had families earlier than they wanted to. Uh, and I and my research areas in, in contraception, so trying to get, trying to not get people pregnant, uh, developing we've developed new birth control pills, new IUDs, new things that can prevent people from getting pregnant. That's what I do my research in. But then my practice is in the opposite of that, which is helping people. Uh, try to get pregnant. You're just reversing. It's like schizophrenic in some ways. One part of the day, you're, you're making new things to help people not get pregnant. The other part of the day, you're doing in vitro fertilization and making embryos to help people get pregnant. 
So I like both areas. It's like it's like walking a tightrope, uh, and I like both areas because it's all hormonal. It's a, it's like a light switch. You can either turn it on, you can turn it off. And uh, uh, to me, that made the most sense. And I was a film major, a television and film major in college, and worked in television in Chicago. And uh, uh, you know, and I was a pre-med uh, film major. Uh, and um, I got accepted to medical school and to a TV program, a master's program in television on the same day. And I decided to go into medicine because to me, it made the most sense. I thought I could make more contributions going about it this way than making some silly TV shows. So uh, I, I thought that this was the best option for me. And I it just, uh, like I said, I just, uh, in my opinion, I, I just think working, having the privilege to work with women and deal with female related issues. Uh, I, I think I'm very lucky to be able to do that as a professional. Yes, definitely. And that's really fascinating uh, about the film and TV thing too. Um, but let me ask you, obviously we're living in the age of COVID. Uh, how has COVID-19 uh, affected um, your profession and everything? Well, I mean, uh, we're very lucky in, in the OBGYN field, we primarily deal with young women, but we've had some, some deaths, even at the University of Cincinnati from people who've gotten COVID, primarily in people who had some uh, circumstances in their lives that put them at higher risk, like obesity. Uh, they had some lung issues, like really severe asthma. People who've had some other issues in their life that may put them at higher risk. I'm sorry for my dog in the background, Jan. No, that's okay. <laughs> People who have uh, put themselves at higher risk. Uh, and we've had a couple of deaths, but most of those, uh, the few deaths that are happened uh, in our unit related to COVID, and keep in mind that we are a level four uh, OB unit in our, and, we're, and that's the highest level you can get. And we're the only level four uh, OB uh, unit in the, uh, in the area. Uh, and uh, so we get the worst of the worst. So if you have a problem, that's where you want to go. And sometimes people transfer to us late. And unfortunately, that puts them at risk. And we may not be able to continue to help them as much as we would like to. Uh, and uh, there are some areas where people uh, come in uh, with the very late stages of COVID. And, and unfortunately, uh, I think we are able to save the majority greater than 90%, but there are going to be uh, that few patients who, unfortunately, no matter what we do, no matter how much we try to use our intensive care units and everything else, COVID is a bad disease. People used to talk about it being a hoax. It's not a hoax. Uh, be, getting the vaccine will help to decrease your risk of COVID. As I tell people, I, I, I got my vaccines. I was actually in the vaccine trial and luckily got the vaccine and not the placebo. I can safely say that uh, I, I may die of a lot of things, but I, one of them won't be COVID. So with, with all that said, I, I would rather uh, have people strongly advocate for our African-American community uh, to take the vaccine. This isn't Tuskegee. Everybody's trying to get this vaccine. People are flying all over the place. People are flying from New York to Alaska to get the vaccine. So this isn't anything geared toward Black people, this isn't anything where they're putting microchips in you. Uh, this is something that we're trying to do to save your life. I've gotten a vaccine. I've gotten both of my vaccines early on. I was one of the first people and I have not had any side effects. I've not had any issues. Uh, like most people, you get a little sore arm when you first get the vaccine. Uh, there have been really no 
deaths directly linked to the vaccines that have been approved in the United States. And these vaccines have been proven to be safe and effective. And hopefully they will give us more time than even the uh, flu vaccine, but we don't know that yet. We just know that people have at least a year uh, probably with the, the current vaccines and we'll see how long it lasts. That, that jury is still out on how long they last, but we do know they probably last for up to a year. Uh, and then uh, at some point we'll have to get booster shots of the vaccine. But uh, my son recently had COVID. He's a, a senior at Miami University and he came home uh, and quarantined here. And I felt very comfortable. I believed in the science. I felt uh, very comfortable uh, helping him uh, as he had uh, fever and some muscle aches with his COVID. And I, and I helped him, um, you know, still wearing a mask. Uh, but uh, did not get sick, and that was two weeks ago. Uh, so being able to say the vaccine works, I think I'm a good example uh, that the vaccine definitely works. Um, Suhana, did you have any questions for um, Dr. Thomas? Um, uh, I really can't think of anything right now. Um, I think Dr. Thomas covered all yeah. aspects of women's health really well and well-roundedly. Well, I always say, you know, I've been working in, I, you know, we had a TV station in my uh, high school when I, so I've been working in television and that kind of stuff. We had, uh, uh, it was like a suburban high school working in television since I was 13 years old. So I, I know how to look at a clock and cover all aspects of a topic as much as possible. But I, and the things I would like to say, you know, somewhat imparting is that it's just so important that African-American women see their doctors on a regular basis. It's so important that your health becomes important because our African-American queens are, are here to continue to take care of their families. It's important that we take care of them and make sure that our, our sisters, daughters, mothers, grandmothers, great-grandmothers take care of themselves because they are such an important aspect of what we do within the community of color and such an important part of what we do that it's important that we uh, uh, persuade them, tell them, do as much as we can to make sure that their health is the primary objective for the survival of what we do. Dr. Thomas, I might have not, uh, not understood this topic really well, but what happens if uh, pregnant women gets COVID? Uh, they, I mean, it, it's like anything else. The younger you are, the better you do. But unfortunately, uh, COVID is associated with inflammation, associated with blood clots. Um, the majority of pregnant women do well with COVID. Uh, uh, don't get me wrong. But people who, are, who have comorbidities, meaning who have other diseases, diabetes, heart disease, obesity, I mean, those patients have trouble. I mean, those patients truly have trouble. So it's the same comorbidities that you could have even, even if you weren't pregnant. Uh, we do encourage pregnant women to get the vaccine. Uh, the being pregnant shouldn't, uh, should not be a condition where you can't take the vaccine. You can, there are numbers of, uh, we are encouraging it uh, in our department. Uh, and it's very important that you take it, but uh, uh, because pregnant women uh, are carrying a pregnancy and they tend to have a higher risk of blood clots in general, uh, that additional inflammatory process going on in the body doesn't help. But luckily, uh, pregnant women are by nature young and the majority of them, particularly those in good health, will do well uh, during a pregnancy. 
but they have to be monitored and quarantined like everybody else. And everyone, in order to, the best thing to do is to not get COVID, take your vaccine, wear your mask, always wear your mask, even if you have the vaccine. Uh, the goal is to keep you as healthy as possible so that you can be here for all of us. Dr. Thomas, uh, does conditions like PCOS and PCOD also form uh, act as uh, underlying health conditions that can cause you COVID or they're similar to diabetes or yeah. they can be treated differently? That, that's a very good question. Polycystic ovary, ovarian disease is a condition where women don't have regular cycles. About 50% of them are obese and 50% of them are normal weight. And uh, it's a condition where people can have not only irregular cycles, but they can have hair above the lip, below the chin, between the breasts, uh, between the belly button and the pubic bone. And those women are, have a higher risk of infertility problems and they have a higher risk of diabetes, uh, particularly later on in life because they become what's called insulin resistant. Uh, those patients aren't at, are not at higher risk for COVID over anybody else. Uh, but patients who are PCOS and obese suffer the same potential consequences of uh, when they develop COVID, like anyone who's obese. Uh, so mm -hmm. these patients are at higher risk, particularly related to obesity or diabetes. Uh, all people with PCOS don't have diabetes, uh, but people with PCOS have a higher risk of diabetes. Okay. Well, mm -hmm. I have to say that was a very, very fascinating discussion. Thank you so much, Dr. Thomas, for coming on our show. We greatly appreciate it. All right. Well, I appreciate being invited. And, uh, and uh, we will continue to write articles in the Cincinnati Herald once a month uh, from the Department of Obstetrics and Gynecology at the University of Cincinnati and UC Health to give out information. Like I said, my first article uh, this past month was on fertility problems in the Black community. We have other articles coming up soon about our work with Cradle Cincinnati and trying to reduce infant mortality in the Black community. Uh, then we have other articles coming out over the next few months on COVID uh, and pregnancy, as well as preeclampsia or uh, toxemia uh, in pregnancy. So we look forward to this collaboration, uh, a long-term collaboration with the Cincinnati Herald. Of course. And I also want to thank uh, my guests, Wade and Suhana, for being on the show. Thank you so much, guys. Thank you so much for having us, John. And thank you so much, Dr. Thomas, for educating us today. Yes, thank you. It was, it was very educational. Glad I was here. Okay, so make sure to check out all the stories we discussed today on our website at www.thecincinnatiherald.com. You can also check out our print edition, which is sold at your local Kroger, UDF, Walgreens, Joseph Beth Booksellers, and at select service stations. Remember to follow us at the Cincinnati Herald on Facebook. You can also follow us at Cincy Herald on Twitter and Instagram. Make sure you follow us on YouTube. Just search for The Herald TV. And you can also follow us on our official TikTok channel and just search for the Cincinnati Herald. And folks, remember, we are still in the pandemic. So make sure you get vaccinated and make sure you still wear a mask, wash your hands and practice social distancing. I'm John Alexander Reese, digital editor of the Cincinnati Herald and have a good day. Mm -hmm.